Good morning. If you'd have a seat, let's pray together. Lord, we find ourselves in this spot and not just a physical place, but Lord, an emotional one, a spiritual one, where we say, this is the place. Here is where I am, Lord. And the choice is whether or not we will lay it down in front of you, whether we'll say, I surrender. And so God, even in the act of singing, I surrender, Lord, we ask for the grace and the power to do that, for it to be real, not just to say it with our words, but that the action of our hearts would be to give up, to surrender, to put our hands up in the spirit and say, Lord, I need help. I lay down my burdens today, Lord. I lay down the things that I think make me important, my crowns, and I, I want you. I want you to do whatever you want to do in my life. God, we join with our church family um, in grieving. Uh, this past few weeks, Lord, um, we've seen some beautiful people graduate. Uh, Pauline Knight, home, face-to-face. Uh, this week, Diane Burnett's home, face-to-face. Our own Pastor Sammy's mom, face-to-face. And so, Lord, we grieve with those who grieve, but we also celebrate because all three of those women would say, Jesus is my King. And so, Lord, they have the honor and the privilege of standing before you today on this worship day and that makes us envious but it also Lord makes us miss them and, and come to grips with the fact that we're in this in between moment of the kingdom of God now but not yet so Lord help us to be those who um, are honest and open about where we are and even as we open up your word today Lord would it um, would it find some of those places in us that need maybe to surrender to you. We'll give you this time. We thank you for uh, being here with us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So glad you're here. It's great to see you. Um, I want to say hey to traditions folks across the hall. If you aren't aware, if uh, singing some of the treasured hymns of our Christian past is more your cup of tea or coffee, um, we do that just across the hall, and then this message gets streamed in there. So we want to say hey to you guys. So thankful for you. Um, before we jump in, I want to show you a real quick picture um, of Ellen Warnicke. There we go. She is in the lobby today, and I want you just to be what you always are, which is amazing. And as you go out, uh, it means so much to somebody who is serving overseas and serving Jesus and kind of has that and then comes back here and wants to connect with family and friends. But she's got a table set up out there with some information of what she's doing. You may not even know her. It may not be something where you're like, oh, I don't know her. Go up to her and say, hey, my name is, tell me something about what you do. That means a ton to people who are serving overseas. And I know I was asking her in between services, there are some prayer needs. And so you can ask, how can I pray for you? There are some financial needs um, as she is raising support. She's about halfway there. And so as we ask you guys at the end to always consider where the Lord would have you put your resources, it might be that he taps on your shoulder to help 
Ellen get to 100%. And so encourage you to do that. Step out there after the service and let's, uh, let's overwhelm her with uh, the love of Jesus just by, by going up to her. Second thing, this is our Mozambique team. They flew for 15 hours. Then they had a layover for five. Then they flew for eight more. Then they took a ride for four more hours. Oh my word. And I've done it and it's very difficult. So you can like, look at Josh. He's like barely hanging on. (laughs) So pray for them. Sammy also found out that his mom had gone home to be with Jesus right when he got there. And so I said, hey, do you want to fly home? And he's like, no, I think I'm supposed to be here. And so pray for Sammy, pray for his extended family, for Billy and the kids here, because that's a, that's a hard thing to do uh, when you want to be somewhere, you want to be with family. So the Lord has given him strength, um, but needs our encouragement. And that school behind them, you did that. People who actually do what we talk about at the end of the service, maybe be like, no, I didn't do that. People who were sitting in these seats asked the Lord, what do you want me to do with my resources? And some of you said, all right, let's, let's do that. And gave a few years ago and built that school. It's full. There's a waiting list for it. And those kids are not only getting an education, they're learning about Jesus. And that was because we listened and we said yes. So encourage you to keep doing that in different ways, but let's be praying for them. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 10 today. I want to say this to you because maybe you're new and we're halfway through the book of Revelation. And so you're like, oh man, I missed all this and I'm way behind. I feel behind in life (laughs) often. And I want to tell you, and I feel like the Lord just kind of put this on my heart to say, you're right on time. You're right on time. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. And you showed up today. And I think Jesus is like this. I'm ready to minister to them and to encourage them. And so the Holy Spirit knows where to find you. He knows all the things, all your objections, all the things that you would say to the reason that you're behind. He knows what you need. And so you're right on time. But what have we, and I want to kind of just take a few minutes to give a couple of like little touch points of what we've experienced thus far. And so if you are joining us, or if you're like, what have we done? I don't even know. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to give you a few things to grab onto. So we have been getting this supercharged, symbolic, when symbolized doesn't mean that it's not real. It just means that this is what the Spirit of God has given us to hopefully understand some of the truths about God's kingdom. And it's been about God's plan what he's going to do in the world, what he has done, what he will do. It's about his justice. It's about his kingdom on planet earth, that there's only one who can unseal God's plan and who can carry it out. Mercy, judgment, all that. It's Jesus. The kind of things we've seen depicted in the seven seals and seven trumpets, and eventually we're going to have seven bowls. It's hard stuff. It's difficult stuff. It's stuff that we're like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. War, famine, pestilence, death, all things that we've kind of experienced in our world, but we're also seeing incredible mercy and hope extended, even as the vision is being given. And courage and triumph for those who look to Jesus. So I want to just give you, and you've probably noticed if you've been listening to us, is that we are trying not to land on one particular method of interpretation. 
The reason is we want you to lean in, and there are a bunch. And I've even said there's five, six, but I'm going to give you three just to kind of grab onto. The first one, and we'll just say it's over here because it's kind of, if you're doing a timeline, and to the left is what's happened in the past. And so some people would say, you know what? Interpreting Revelation is only about what happened in the past. The fancy term for it is preterist, meaning when I'm reading about famine and pestilence and the fall and the beasts and all this kind of stuff, it's only what the church was experiencing back then. So Babylon is Rome. The beast is Caesar. A lot of people land right there. And they say, nope, it's only that. So that's one. The other one, let's go to the other end of the timeline. So if that's past, this is future. And this is where we find books, exciting books, Left Behind, Late Great Planet Earth, things that get us pumped that we're like, wow, that would be so cool to think about God's kingdom being on the earth. And people say, no, it's only future. And these people here are saying, no, it's only past. Where I like to be, the mushy middle. The mushy middle. Why? Because I think what we learn when we read the book of Revelation is that yeah, those things were definitely happened for these folks because they didn't say, this book has nothing to do with us. This must be for some future group of people 2,000 something years from now. No, they were super encouraged. They got these symbolism of these images and the things that were happening and the words from John. And they were like, we're so encouraged. We're encouraged to keep going with Jesus. And has anybody seen Jesus yet return? No. He's obviously not here yet. And so the things that say that this is yet to happen, of course it's there. And so we can be in the mushy middle where we can say, absolutely. John is speaking to things that were happening then. He's obviously speaking to things that are happening now. Has anybody said this to you? Or maybe you have said this. We've got to be getting close. It's so bad. You ever had that? Like, this must be the end because it's so awful out there. And just because we know Jesus hasn't come back, we can say it's future. So it can be that it happened then, that it's happening now, and then it will happen in a amplified, supercharged way that you will feel like, I don't know if I could even take it before Jesus returns. Okay? So past, future, mushy middle. Idealist is the other way to talk about this one because you're pulling from both. You don't have to land. And if you're in one of these, that's okay. That's okay, because it's a minor doctrine. How you interpret the book of Revelation doesn't make it or break it for you. But I do want to give you, and these have kind of emerged in our study, and we're going to do it visually so you can see it. I think there are four keys, not keys to unlock the book of Revelation. I think keys to unlock our heart as we read the book of Revelation. First one is this. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus the Christ. Jesus the King, Jesus the Anointed One. It's not set up to be some mysterious puzzle cryptic book. It's set up to be a thing that reveals Jesus to you. This is so you can get to know him, so you can be encouraged by what he's done, who he is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's key number one. Second, reading, hearing, and keeping the message in this book will bring blessing. That's also from Revelation chapter one. Blessed are those who read aloud, who hear and obey and who keep. And I love what Pastor Joe said last week. It's not just that you keep it, but it's those who are kept by it. 
We don't just encourage you to read the Bible. We encourage you to let it read you. So that's one. That's two. Number three comes in Revelation 4. John is given not, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here are all the things. He is given this glimpse of the throne room. And he sees worship. And so the key to your heart being unlocked and to understanding what God is trying to say through the book of Revelation will only happen in a posture of worship. Not getting out your timelines, but Lord, I want to follow you. I want to listen to your voice. I want to respond to you. I want to be on my face in worship. And the fourth one is the key of keys. And it's this, everything, everything, Genesis to maps and the world as we know it must be viewed through the crucified and risen Lamb of God. This is Revelation chapter 5, where this one comes. And anybody remember, there's a mighty angel who's holding a scroll, and it's sealed up, and he says, who is worthy to open this? Nobody. John's crying, feels an elder place his hand on his shoulder, says, hey, don't cry. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he turns to what he thinks is going to be the vision of a lion. And what does he see? A lamb slain. Now, it's not that God is lion sometimes and lamb. At other times, it's a little bit like the incarnation. He is both lion and lamb, but God works through lamb power. How does he get things done? He dies. He sacrifices himself. God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. And you can take that. Or you can have it directed at you one day. I'll take the first. But everything has to be viewed through the crucified lamb. So when we get to the judgments and when we get to the really difficult things, we're going to have to look through the slain lamb. Another way to say this, fancy way to say this, is you need a cruciform, cross-shaped hermeneutic, which is a fancy word for this. It's how you look at the Bible how you view it, how you interpret it. I want lenses that say, oh, I see Jesus Christ crucified, risen, ascended, returning. I want a Jesus lenses. So four keys, take them or leave them, but they're helpful for me. They're helpful to recenter me when I get, I don't know what to do. It's like, wait a minute. This is the revelation of Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus. And I just in reading it, out loud, just in hearing it, I'm blessed. And you know what? Lord, I want to worship you. Even if I don't understand everything that's happening, I want to worship you and help me to see the world. Help me to see your plan through cruciform lenses. Okay? So I want to put those there because we're going to do something a little different today with the passage. Usually we read a passage and we tell you amazing things about it. <laughs> Maybe. Today, I kind of felt the Lord saying, you know what? Start with the difficult place that is in your heart, Chad. Give people permission to say, here's the why of my heart that needs to hear something from Jesus today. And so if I asked you, hey, what's going on? Tell me something that's authentic and honest, truly up there, honest of how you feel about your faith in God. You probably could get there, right? You could tell me some of your more difficult moments. And so I'm going to show you how I do this. I'm going to show you a picture first. Um, this is Sybil and me uh, in Capernaum just uh, about a month ago. And I am standing 
in the spot for sure where Jesus stood and opened the scroll. And there's another picture here of me. And so I was like, okay. In this moment, it was, it was weird. I actually asked Joe, I was like, hey, Joe, this is the synagogue. This is the, this is the spot. This is the spot, isn't it? I know for certain that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who gave his life, the firstborn of the dead, the everlasting God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had feet, human and divine feet that stood right there. And so I was standing there and I was like, ooh. <laughs> it was one of those. I was like, this is insane. And then I was like, oh. This is small. You can throw a rock across the town of Capernaum. It's dumpy. It's uninhabited. Nobody lives there anymore. It's dirty. And so I had this weird thing going on. Because doubt is not the antithesis of faith. Doubt and faith like to run on the same street. And so I had amazing faith-building stuff kind of rising up in my heart. And at the same time, I had this, like, are you telling me that my whole world is built on the fact that you, you were a human being and you stood in this dirty spot? <laughs> is, this, is this real? Kind of this very difficult place, honest place. So I'm going to give you what were my words. We're going to like almost have like a little moment, an emotional and spiritual state of being. And then we're going to read the passage. So rather than here's the passage and here's a couple of things. We're going to say the couple of things, but we're going to read and speak. And I encourage you to do the same. Put it in your own words, how you feel. So here's the first one. I'm afraid and discouraged. I honestly feel like giving up on this whole Jesus thing sometimes. What's the point if this is all about some invisible hope? Is he allowed to say that? <laughs> the Psalms give me permission, by the way, and you. But just let it sit for a second. Just let it marinate a bit in your heart. How would you say it? What does that look like for you? Maybe you dismiss it quickly, but what are those honest thoughts that you bring to church, to God's word, to worship, to life? What's it look like when you're standing in the spot and you're both full of faith and doubt? How do you respond? Now let's read Revelation 10 verse 1. Because I think God's like, you ready? Okay, I can handle this. I can take it. I can take your faith and doubt running on the same street, Chad. Here we go. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His faith was like the sun. Legs were like pillars of fire. And he held a little scroll opened in his hand. And he put his right foot on the sea. He put his left foot on the land. And he called out with a voice like a roaring lion. And when he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what they just said. Do not write it down. So to speak to our fear, 
to our discouragement, to maybe a desire to give up, which you quickly stuff back in that. No, 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 no. A struggle with the invisible nature of belief, and it is an invisible nature, we get a picture of a massive, powerful, heavenly angel. Now, the imagery is supposed to, and even if you don't know your Old Testament, that's okay, but there is a passage in Daniel chapter 10, which is very, almost identical to this, very similar language. It's, it's cluing us into this is a message from heaven. This is a heavenly being. He's standing in the ocean and on the land like it's a puddle. He's just like, yep, I got this. Standing on the Atlantic or the Pacific, whatever, no big And it's supposed to move us from that place of discouragement to, okay, okay, God is awesome. He is magnificent. We're to be in awe. God's power and his control. This is just his messenger. This isn't even him. This is just somebody that he sent standing on the water and the land like it's a puddle is no big deal. It's awesome. God rules all. He rules the supernatural. He rules the natural. Heaven, earth, land, sea. He is in charge, Chad. And he holds a little scroll in his hand. Now, if we go back to Revelation 5, which Pastor Daniel preached on, the angel held a scroll in his hand and it was sealed up. Who can open this? Nobody can open this. This angel, many scholars think it's the same one. This time, it's open. It's open. It's revealed now. Jesus has opened it. It's a reminder that he's in control. He is the one who holds history in his hand. So what's in this scroll? And the first one, we, it just tells us there's writing on both sides, but we don't get to see. We don't see. It says this and this and this. We get a hint with some of the plagues, with the judgments, but... What most people think is that this is God's book. This is God's plan. This is not just the message of Revelation. This is the message of the Bible. This is his will, his judgments, his mercy, the book of life. Everything is in this scroll. And the angel's standing there going, look what I have. You're discouraged? Look what I have. And it's open. It's being carried out speaks, he cries out a voice like a roaring lion, and it causes the seven thunders to raise their voice. Though we're not always trying to nail down what are the seven thunders, seven is a clue. Seven is the perfect number with seven spirits of God. This is the voice of God. This is the voice of God. It's a fantastic display of God's power. His will being executed no matter what. So you're discouraged. You feel like giving up. You're struggling with the invisible nature of faith in Jesus. You get this. And John is, he's wide-eyed. Don't think that John's sitting back going, well, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. He is, he's flabbergasted. Imagine when that angel speaking, the voice like a lion that just, his face is being blown back with the power. He's feeling it. And so he does what any of us would do, which is we would do it with our phones now. We would be like, (laughs) Hang on a second. (laughs) Look at the angel. You know, he pulls out a pen and he says, I got to write this down. I got to tell people about this. And something very strange happens. Don't write it down. Don't tell. 
You're not allowed. Seal it up. What's happening? Why would God not want him to write down what he's seeing and what is being said and heard? Eugene Peterson says that God is preparing John and thus preparing the church to be a witness. And I'm growing in understanding what it means to be a witness. And it is no easy task. It's very difficult. It's very complex. And so one of the first things that we learn about speaking for God is that some things are not to be said yet. You don't dump the truck. You're going to burn and die and God loves you and you can respond or not. And then we drive away. And they don't respond well, and we flip them a spiritual bird, and we're like, who cares about you? Whatever that is. (laughs) But you know that place in your heart? I told them everything they need to know. If they don't care, well, then they don't care. And I guess they just, that's their problem. You don't say everything. You don't say everything all at once. God is teaching us right here, some things need to be hidden for a while. Because people aren't ready yet. And because they're not ready doesn't mean you dismiss them, but you walk with them and you wait. And so God is saying, wait, God rules all. He is saying that he is mighty angel. He's got the scroll. Everything is in it. He is in control of everything, but there are things he knows about the future that we don't need to know. It's kind of what he's saying. You don't have to know everything. You can trust me though. You can trust me. And we're going to talk a little bit more at the last section about what it means to be a witness. But for now, just know that sometimes Jesus says, hey, don't cast your pearls before swine. Matthew chapter 7, which we read that and we're like, yeah, swine. That's what I thought. He's like, no, that is not the point of that verse. You're like, you're swine. I'm not giving you my words. It's not time, not ready to hear. Jesus would do something amazing. Matthew chapter 17, amazing, shows up to them. And then you know what he tells them? Don't tell. (laughs) Don't tell. Why not? It's so beautiful. In time, seal it up. Don't write it down. Not time to say. Okay, Lord, that angel's pretty awesome. I would have loved to write some things down, tell my friends, show my selfie of me with the angel, but I get it. I love that you're in control. I'm pretty sure I believe that you're in control. Almost. I almost, I almost believe it. I believe it most, most of the time. But have you seen it down here lately, Lord? Have you uh, turned on the news, checked heaven's Twitter feed? Have you seen what's happening? Have you seen how people are? Have you seen the endless war that's going on? Have you seen child trafficking that noted in the new film that came out, The Sound of Freedom? Have you seen what's happening, Lord? It seems like your promises are kind of pie in the sky. Can I be honest, Jesus? And here's my second emotional spiritual state. It seems like your promises aren't real. The opinions and viewpoints of the world and the current historical moment make us look like fools. Fools 
You feel that way? Just let that one sit for a minute. Have you thought that? Have you questioned whether or not his promises are real? Are they more than just spiritual platitudes and things that we say? Same things that we say at funerals. They're in a better place. We can hope it's real. How do you know? I don't, but I do. It's, you know, have you ever wondered that? And again, if you're wondering if it's okay to say these things, the Psalms are full of this. Speak honestly to the Lord. God, I think I'm struggling to see how your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is actually going to be a reality. I was thinking about this recently with just some people that I know with some physical things and how I'm like, yeah, God doesn't really do anything healing wise on this side. We've all kind of just accepted it. So I guess I think it's real. I don't know, Lord. So what does Jesus say to those feelings? Verse five, then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what's in it, the earth and what's in it, and the sea and what's in it. And that is the Bible's way of saying everything, everything. And then said this, there will no longer be a delay. You're waiting on promises? No more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Have you ever noticed that whenever people ask other people to swear, like the good kind, not the, but you know, like to swear um, from the playground, pinky swear, all the way to the courtroom, raise your right hand. And we used to swear in the Bible and now it's not, but don't be one of those Christians that's like, we're going to get the Bible back in the court. Don't swim in that shallow water. You got to go deeper. You got to go deeper. God is interested in changing hearts. We're not just trying to change institutions or look back to platitudes of things that maybe weren't even a real thing. But people swear by things that are important. And what are they trying to do when they say that? Usually it's when there's a moment of needing truth. Are you really going to tell me the truth? Then swear. Swear by it. Pinky swear, and people do, you know, we see it in the movies too. I swear on my grandmother's grave or sister's blood, you know, like whatever it is, we swear on things that are important, things that are matter to us. And so the Lord's like, you don't think my promises are coming? Well, watch this. The angel raises his hand to swear and swears by what? The one who lives forever and ever, who created everything. You can't swear by anything higher. And what is the angel saying about God? It's true. These things are true. Now it says there will be no more delay. Some translations read no more time. And that kind of squeezes over into some of the speculative type of approaches and futuristic. There's no more time. So when the time is over, then all these things are going to happen. I would encourage you to not necessarily land there. Because no more delay of what? It says, when the seventh trumpet is sounded. Job mentioned it last week. The seventh trumpet is the trumpet of trumpets. When the seventh trumpet is sounded, and we'll see that in a couple of chapters, it's game over or game beginning. 
God's on the planet. His kingdom's being established. Now the kingdom of our God is with man. It's going to be huge. And so no more delay for that, but there's more here. Because it's, if you think about this, this is a mystery. Anybody know anywhere else in the New Testament where we hear about the mystery of God? Who wrote about that? The Apostle Paul. Yeah, there you go. The mystery of God has been revealed. What is the mystery of God? Jesus Christ crucified. <laughs> Jesus incarnated, crucified, resurrected, ascended. and re The mystery of God has finally been revealed. And it has been talked about and talked about and modeled and hinted at and foreshadowed and revealed in these scriptures. There's no more delay God's answer is here. So let me tell you, Chad, from six years ago, when I read something like this, how I would respond. I see a big angel with lots of power, and I think about people not responding that I've dumped the truck on, and they didn't respond well, and I'm mad at them. I'm angry, and I'm angry about the stuff I'm seeing in the world, and things are bad for Christians, and persecuting us, and rah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And so when I hear there's no more delay and a big angel swearing by it and saying, you know what I want? I want that angel to drop the hammer. Zap them. <laughs> That's right. Jesus is in charge. I told you when I dumped the truck on you. And I want the Lord just to bring the thunder. Bring the thunder, Lord. Show them that we're right vindicate us in our life. And the Lord is like, no, no, Chad, no. But that's how I would have read. This is fear on display. If we're supposed to learn how to be a witness, uh, Chad, that isn't it. This is fear on display. This is not the heart of God. It's a reaction from me when I feel like the world is winning. I don't become more compassionate I get more fearful. And so when I read about end times things and angels bringing the thunder and the end and all this stuff, I'm just thinking about people being punished. Sorry if that's too raw for you, but that was me and it's just a little bit me now. <laughs> it's still there. God's still working on it. Fearful Christians are not the best version of Jesus' followers. Not at all. It does not. The world can tell too. They can tell when we're afraid and angry. When that church cat gets out of the bag, it's not a good looking cat. It's ugly. It's afraid. It's angry. It's suspicious. And if you get too close, it will scratch your eyes out in Jesus' name. It's an ugly cat. I don't want to be that cat anymore. In this version of Christianity... We keep our kids away from their kids. We start our own schools. We make our own movies. We write our own books and we fry our own chicken. <laughs> Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A. It's fear-based. It's not in the world anymore. Jesus said that. I want them to be in the world, but not of it. In our version, it's, yeah, nothing to do with it. I don't care about any of them. That is not how we respond to God saying, yeah, the end is going to be coming. The delay is going to be no more. And it's going to all be real. We want not to say, Jesus, get them. We want to say, oh, Lord, you've, you have them. 
this time that has been delayed, your mercy delayed, you got him. But here's the crazy thing. He wants to use you to do it. He wants to use you to do it. And we, Chad, and you cannot be that cat. (laughs) God wants us to hold his heart. So let's take it further though. Why is there no more delay? What has been answered? What has been unsealed? Who has unsealed the will and the plan of God? Jesus the Christ. Today is the day of salvation because there's no more delay. He has made it clear. Eugene Peterson says this though, those who prefer to be predictors and want to like find out what is this real? Is this happening? Are sometimes procrastinators because what they'll say is I have time. I got time still to decide whether or not what that guy up there saying is true. The world seems to be giving another message. I'm not so sure. So I'm going to let it play out. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I'm going to wait for the data to come in because if the truth is in the future, I don't have to deal with it today. I can wait. Hear the words of the angel representing God. There will be no more delay. Today is the day of salvation. At some point in the future, You need to be able to say, I am found in Jesus the Christ. So you may be a little lit up by some of these things. You're starting to see maybe what the point of passages of scripture like this are for, what it's supposed to do to your heart, your emotional state. You may be a little encouraged. God's power and control has started to just light you up. He rules and reigns. Okay. He swears by it. Okay. He promises eventually everybody's going to see it. Okay. I don't want to be an angry cat. Okay. No more delay. God's plan through Jesus Christ on display for everyone. Let's get it going right now. God, just get it over with. Why aren't you? Why aren't Just do it. It's good. I'm good. Let's go. Why not right now? What are we waiting on? Let's get this over with. In a word, the answer is you. Two reasons. One, so that you will find yourself in Christ the King. Two, so that you will speak for him. Preferably not as an angry cat. And this is me too. And I think, why does God delay people? Can we all say right now in this room, traditions folks as well, anybody listening after this, that we know somebody who does not know Christ the King? We do. We probably know dozens, if not hundreds. Why is he waiting? People. And these people. To speak for him. But you want me to do what? To speak. Jesus, I've tried. I'm not even sure what I would say. And here's our third and final emotional and spiritual state. My words about Jesus are worthless. (laughs) I can't be a witness for him. People will still reject him. Maybe I should as well. If you've ever tried and been rejected. There's always the moment of, oh, they're just not there yet. And then there's this other part of you that's like, is what I'm saying even a thing? (laughs) I don't know if you've ever felt, felt that when you've tried to talk to somebody about the Lord. 
felt your words jumbled. How do I even get this across? If this is about me just making a great intellectual argument, it sure doesn't seem to work. What am I doing wrong? God, if you want us to speak for you, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's kind of what we feel. (laughs) You need help. You need help. You got a bunch of cats. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do this. So here's what the angel says. Last few verses. Uh, Verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the scroll, the big scroll that contains everything that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Eugene Peterson kind of made a point about the scroll versus the little scroll. Give me the little scroll. He said to me, eat it. (laughs) Take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. They said to me, you must prophesy again. No, I have done it so many times. They don't care again. Come on, Lord, again. You got to do it again, John. And saying that to John, he's saying it to us about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So Eugene Peterson makes this little point, even though at the beginning of the chapter, it says the angel had a little scroll. He he points out that right here in the language, there is a distinction between scroll and little scroll. If the scroll is everything, it's God's plan, his will, the book of life, judgment, mercy, everything in the scripture, everything in God's plan for eternity. John goes up to it and is like, that's kind of big. Can I have the little one? I'll, I can, I'll take a little bit. <laughs> and that's all we're responsible for is to take what God gives us and to speak. <clears throat> and so he asks for the little scroll. And I have been more and more convinced. You've probably heard, and I think these are great efforts to try to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. So there are languages that are being translated and it's, let's get the simple New Testament and the Old Testament. If we just get the Bible into their hands and we get it to every language, every known language. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those diagrams before. If we do this and then we do this by this year, this year, this year, God will come back. You've seen those played out before? How many years have we had this English Bible? So many. Has everybody turned? No. Because there's some interchange and mystery about being a witness that is deep, powerful, and complex. Which is why God said, don't say everything right away. I want you to use discretion and discernment. There's timing. There's walking with someone. They're showing them my love. They're speaking truth. It's, I'm just realizing it requires care. It requires something to have happened in you before you say it. Because it's powerful. Eugene Peterson says this. Witnesses must become what they say. Come again. Witnesses must become what they say. 
Because information about God, even if it is a beautiful sermon, even if it is the best Bible study, accurate, theologically correct, if it's coming from a person that has not been changed and eaten the book, Peterson says it's gossip about God. You're just a cheap gossip. You may be like, that's not true. John's told, eat the scroll. Why? Because the goal, you're going to hear this from a pastor, the goal is not Bible reading. This is to get you to him. If we make this the goal, then it's bibliolatry. It's idol worship. You're like, that's too far. We are a people of the word. And those who preach the word, that's a good thing, right? What did Jesus say in John chapter 5 to the Pharisees who memorized the Old Testament? You search the scriptures, you pour over them, but you don't see me. Therefore, it's cheap gossip. Now, he didn't say those last two words, but the implication is there. It's worthless. And he says, you believe Moses? He wrote about me. So Jesus said, he wrote about me, but you won't come to me. Therefore, this book, you might as well just get rid of it. It means nothing if you don't see it through the cruciform hermeneutic, the lenses of the risen Christ who gave his life for us. Have you ever heard somebody say, if I hear one more person say, blah, blah, blah. You ever heard people say that? Maybe you're one of those people too. So I'm going to do one of those. If I hear one more person say, well, they preach the word. Well, that's, they're really good at teaching God's word. I know they're a jerk. I came from the South. I was in churches where, wow, they preach the word. But the person and the culture of the church, toxic, legalistic, but they preach the word. Jesus says, nah. That's not me. That's not me. Now, I know God can use a donkey. I've got the word, the passage in Balaam's donkey. He can use anyone he wants. He can use any method. But as a general rule, if I am going to be a witness for the Lord, I must become what I say. And that's going to be a lifelong journey for sure. But you can see that progress in somebody. You can see the kindness and the humility and the tenderness and the gentleness of Jesus in somebody. And I'm done. I'm done propping up people that are really good theologically, but are jerks. I don't care. Give me somebody who just came to know Jesus who's teaching me the Bible. I'll take that over the theologically accurate stuff. Because the Lord says it doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up. The scroll must be consumed. It must become a part of you. Have we any wonder why our witness is so shallow and ineffective in our world today? How many of us have said the right words, but have not eaten the book? It's not become part of our lives. We're just cheap gossips. And the world says of this Jesus and this gospel, a hearty no thank you. No thank you. So John eats it and it's sweet because it's God's word. It's his truth. It's his plan, but it's bitter because it's judgment and judgment is a difficult message, isn't it? It's hard to convey. 
It's hard to say. We have spent decades now in the church trying to soften the difficult message of judgment. And the Lord's like, why? (laughs) He can hold those two things together because it'd be mean if there was no way to escape judgment. But he is saying there's judgment, but I have taken it. It's only if you reject me that it comes on you. I've taken it for you. It is both difficult and dangerous to tell the truth. Witness was then and is now high risk work. Most of the families in the churches that we've read about in Revelation would have known someone that had been persecuted or killed for following Jesus. Imagine if that was the case for us. If I could sit down with you and you could, I could say, hey, who do you know in your family or friends this past week who were put in prison or killed for following Jesus? Imagine all of us saying, yeah, I know somebody. That was their reality. But they believed it. Witness is high risk work. And so John is told again, even though it's difficult, even though he thinks my words are worthless, this is not working. John again, again, church, you have things to say. You have things to say. You feel like your words are worthless, that people are going to keep rejecting you. Get used to it. Get used to it. This is witness So I'm going to finish with one quick story just to get you thinking about what it might mean to be a witness. What what does it look like not to dump the truck, not to have the angry, I am wanting God to bring the thunder down on people? What does it look like to be a witness, to be a lifelong witness, to walk with people? Uh, We were as a family um, in France and this church, and I'm going to butcher it, but Angleville au plan is the name of the town. Uh, this is the 101st Airborne dropped in this area. It was right behind Utah Beach, if you're familiar with Normandy. And tremendous fighting June 5th, the night of June 5th. Just lots of people dying. Two medics. Robert Wright. I'm stirring up the kiddos. I'm sorry. Robert Wright <laughs> and Kenneth Moore. Two medics decided to do something different in the middle of the fight. They took over this church and they said, this is a hospital, not just for Americans. We're taking Germans too. One rule, leave your guns and you get right there by the door. Leave your guns at the door. Guess what that is on the pew? You got it. Still there. The the pews are stained with blood, but you don't know whose. German? American? French resistance? We know there was a baby in there too that they were taking care of. There were about 75 people on the night. It wasn't later. It was the night, June 5th and into the morning of June 6th. Outside, even in the courtyard, fighting was going on. The Americans lost the town. The medics stayed At one point, German officer busts in the door, gun in hand, and goes, oh, we have some guys. Can you take care of them too? They're like, yep, send them in. Those guys went to work, and they even said, we wanted this to be a place of physical and spiritual healing. We can't solve all of that out there, but we know what to do in here. 
We know how to care for people. We know how to take care of injuries, gunshots, whatever. That officer also, the German officer also went outside and grabbed a Red Cross flag and stuck it on the door to give the message to any others out there, don't hit this place. <laughs> Two days later, from the bell tower, Two German snipers came down into the church, opened a door, and they were all like, <gasps> like, we didn't know you were up there. And the guy said, no, 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 we're surrendering. We just, we don't want to do this either. I watched, I listened to that story. It was super exhausted the day we were there listening to the tour guide. But as I've reflected on it, it's not about a building either. But the image for me was one of, Wow. That bypassed the whole, and obviously there are huge things going on in that conflict and things that we, are, we celebrate as a country and freedom, all that kind of stuff. But in that place, there was holy ground for people to find healing and wholeness. And there was no, you're our enemy. It was, this is it. This is the place. You're hurting? Come on in. And I'm not even saying a building. It's not about this building. It's not about this building. It's about these living stones out there. When people encounter you, do they find this? Come and I will care for you. I think we do that. We start learning how to do that. Moments will come where the truth can be applied. Where there will be, oh, it's, oh, it's time to write it down now. Okay, it's time to speak what I know and what I've heard. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. May we become that kind of witness. And worship team, come on up. Lord, thank you for your word. It's challenging to me as I... Ah, it's just, I just think about John and those churches and in the position they were in, Lord. Very similar with the conflict and the temptation to give up, the temptation to be discouraged, to stop speaking for Jesus to not become the next casualty. And Lord, you encourage them. You sent word and you said, this is real. I swear it, this is real. And so God, we pray for wisdom on how to be a witness in our own wars, our own battles that we face every day, the people that we're near, um, people that maybe we see as enemies that we need to welcome in to lay down on our pew and to care for them. God, we love you. We thank you that we can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, ascended, coming again. And Lord, I just say this morning, I believe in this invisible kingdom of God. I believe your promises are true. If you can use my voice, Lord, teach me how to speak. Change my heart. Transform us, Lord, to be those who see people the way you do. God, let us see the delays. Let us see the raging battles as opportunities for people to be healed in Jesus' name. We ask that you minister to us now as we sing together. Amen. If you feel so led, let's stand up and sing. <laughs>